0: Jeremiah chapter 31 verses 31 through 34. Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. like the covenant which I made with their fathers, and that they I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant which they broke, although I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and on their heart I will write it. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. They will not teach again, each man his neighbor, and each man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me, from the least of them for the greatest of them, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and their sin I will remember no more.
1: Good evening. It is blessing to once again be together. We invite you to be taking out your Bibles. We're going to be studying from them as we usually do. We're going to be looking at the book of Hebrews and Hebrews 8th chapter tonight. If you would be turning there with me. The past several weeks we have considered some of the important covenants that God has made with particular individuals, uh, in particular the covenant that God made with Abraham and the covenant that God made with David. And all of these covenants are sort of key hitching posts throughout the Bible that connect the Bible from beginning to end. I appreciate very much what Kyle said this morning at the Lord's table as we broke the communion and broke bread, and he said that the, stor- the story of the Bible is a story from Jesus from beginning to end. And I believe that is absolutely true, and I believe the, the one of the key concepts to helping us see that is the fact that there are these covenants, that these covenants play out and they connect the Bible from the beginning to the middle to the end. And the two covenants that we have examined in a very thorough fashion, the covenant that God made with Abraham and the covenant that God made with David, are some of the most critical that I think which we benefit from as the Lord's people today. And this evening, I want us to look at the new covenant that God promised to establish in the reading that we had from the prophet Jeremiah the Hebrew writer uses that as his text to exegete and that he expands and helps us understand the fulfillment of that covenant so in Hebrews chapter 8 I want to notice here what the Hebrew writer is really trying to convey that the Hebrew writer he is talking about how we are under a better covenant, that we are now under a better system. In the first six verses of Hebrews chapter 8, he says in verse 1 Now the main point and what has been said is this we have such a high priest who has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister in the sanctuary, and in the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices, so it is necessary that this high priest also have, have something to offer. Now if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there would are those who offer the gifts according to the law, who serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. Just as Moses was warned by God, When he was about to erect the tabernacle for see, he says, that you make all things according to the pattern which was shown to you on the mountain. But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry by as much as he is also the mediator of a better covenant, which he has been enacted on better promises. What is so important to see here is that in these verses that the Hebrew writer is saying, and he's looking back at the old covenant. He's looking back at the law of Moses, the Mosaic covenant that God gave to Moses and the institution of the priesthood, the Levitical priesthood, as we've been studying on Wednesday nights, the book of Exodus and the book of Leviticus and all the sacrifices and the role of the priest and how that the uh, sons of Aaron would be serving as high priests He says that Jesus, if he were a priest according to the law, well, that he wouldn't be a priest at all, actually, because he would be disqualified according to the law. So there is a necessity, a change in the law. That's his argument in chapter 7. And he says that those priests in the old covenant, that they just served as a type or as a shadow of what was to come in Christ, because now we have a better covenant. We have a better priest. We have better promises that have been given and have been obtained. And so what the Hebrew writer is really trying to get us to see is that we are now under a better system because we have a better mediator, a better high priest. And then he goes on to argue in verse 7. He says, for if that first covenant, the law of Moses, the covenant that God made with the children of Israel at Sinai, He says, for if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion sought for a second. And then as he quotes from the prophet Jeremiah in the text that we read from Jeremiah chapter 31, he goes through those verses, and then he comes to a conclusion in verse 13, when he said a new covenant, he has made the first obsolete. But whatever is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to disappear. So he says that there is a, that first covenant is a dead covenant. And it has passed away. And we're going to talk about that some this evening here in just a few moments. It's important for the Hebrew writer's argument that as he is quoting from Jeremiah, that there was the promise of a new covenant, a better covenant. And he says that this new covenant, by admission of the fact that there was a new covenant that was even promised that the old covenant is passing was passing away even at the days of Jeremiah and so he says in verse 7 an interesting statement that is critical to this passage he says For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion sought for a second. And then he tells us where that fault was found in verse 8. He says, For finding fault with them. That's so important to understand in what the Hebrew writer is saying. Because in Jeremiah, in Jeremiah 31, he says, Behold, days are coming declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, although I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. That Jeremiah prophesied that the people of Israel broke that covenant on day one, essentially. And they broke the covenant from the get-go. And that as God brought them out of the land of Egypt, He established this covenant, and they disregarded the covenant, even though they had agreed to obey it. He continues on in the verses that we read, in verses 33 and 34, but this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put My law within them, and on their heart I will write it, and I will be their God, and they shall be My people. They will not teach again each Man, his neighbor, and each man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin, I will remember no more. The Hebrew writer is making a very important point here that the old covenant, that not only was it ready to die in the time of Jeremiah, He's saying it was dead on arrival. It was DOA. That from the get-go they broke the covenant and that it was ready to pass away. Now in Hebrews chapter 8, whenever the Hebrew writer is saying that this is the old covenant and that it is growing old and is ready to disappear, is because now it has been replaced. There is a new covenant that we are now under. But he is making a very clear point in Jeremiah, by quoting from Jeremiah that in Jeremiah's day, that the covenant was an old covenant and it was ready to pass away because when had it ever really lived and thrived? The new covenant, which would not be like the first covenant with Israel, was going to be distinct. It was going to be different because Israel had broken the covenant from its inauguration. You can just go back to the book of Exodus as we have been studying lately in Exodus chapter 19. You'll remember that as Moses was preparing to go receive the law on Mount Sinai and the people were supposed to be preparing themselves and God was making it clear that He was choosing them as His covenant people to make and establish this covenant. In Exodus chapter 19 and in verse 4, as God is speaking to the children of Israel through Moses, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to Myself. Now then, if you will indeed obey My voice and keep My covenant, then you shall be My own possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is Mine." But you see from this statement in verse 5 that this is a covenant that is very much a conditional covenant. That it is conditioned upon their obedience. And that they need to be obeying this covenant that God was establishing with the children of Israel. He says, and. They go on to say in verse 8, all the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses brought back the words of the people to the Lord. That they said, we will obey. We will do what the Lord has said. And then in Exodus chapter 24, after the giving of the Ten Commandments and some of the laws that they were going to be adhering to, in Exodus chapter 24, and in verses 5-8, through 8, again, notice what this says. He sent young men of the sons of Israel, and they offered burnt offerings and sacrificed young bulls as peace offerings to the Lord. Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins, and the other half of the blood he sprinkled on the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people, and they said, all that the Lord has spoken we will do, and we will be obedient. So Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, Behold, the blood of the covenant which the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. They were agreeing, not half-heartedly, but they said, We will obey. We will do what is required of us. And yet, just a little over a month later, they are demanding from Aaron... To build us a calf made of gold so that we can worship it as the God who brought us out of Egypt. They violated the very first two commands of the covenant. What a terrible start! What a terrible start to this. You see why Jeremiah is saying and prophesying as God's prophet, as God's spokesman, that Israel broke that command or that covenant and a new one is needed because the old one is old and it's dead. It has no life in it because Israel broke it from the get-go. Even when God was merciful and restored Israel to the covenant that they broke. In Exodus 33 and 34, the covenant is renewed and the people again agree that they will obey the laws of the covenant. They are still in desperate need. Because this was going to become the pattern You know, something that maybe I'm just a little slow on the upkeep. You know, they say I was born at night, but not last night. Maybe I was born last night because I'm a little slow sometimes. Because I've studied the book of Judges and I've always heard about that cycle of sin, you know, that you hear about and how the people of Israel, they would be faithful for a while and then they would turn to sin and then they would cry out to God, then asking for a deliverer, and that they would then say, we'll obey you, we'll repent, and they do, and God gives them a deliverer, and then just imagine, they'll be faithful again for a time, and then all of a sudden, it's like wash, rinse, and repeat. You do it again, and the cycle just repeats over and over and over. And here I was, I guess I just thought that was something that started in the book of Judges for some reason. It started here in Exodus chapter 32. That they started that cycle then. Because you read the period of the judges and then you're like that. But it started well before that. They established this point that they said they would do what God required of them. And then they fail and they sin. And then they are going to be punished or threatened with punishment, and then they say, no, God will be faithful. You read the book of Numbers and Deuteronomy in just a hint, we'll be studying those books in quarter one next year, so we'll get to see all that again. But the pattern just is established right here. And ultimately, God was going to punish them for violating the terms of the and conditions of the covenant not just once not just a couple of times it was a continuous thing it was a habitual thing and so for the 10 northern tribes of Israel they were brought under captivity by the Assyrians and they were destroyed and at the time of Jeremiah's writing the Babylonian captivity was certain to come because of Judah's sin it had become very clear that the children of Israel had broken the covenant. They were unfaithful to God as a spouse might be unfaithful to their partner, their spouse, husband or their wife. The old covenant was dead. The fault... Was with Israel. Because they just ever really kept the covenant. As God intended for it. But it's amazing as you read Jeremiah's prophecy. In Jeremiah 31. That in spite of Israel's disobedience to that first covenant. God is still promising to be with them. Notice in Jeremiah 31 and in verse 33, he says, this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days. That After those days, I think is an allusion to the Babylonian captivity that they're going to have to go through Babylon, but after that, I'm going to make another covenant with them. That I am going to establish myself with them. Because God is going to remember and keep the covenant promises that He had made to Abraham and to David. That there was going to be the one that would come from the seed of Abraham that would bless all nations. There would be the king that was going to be coming from David and from his line that would rule over an eternal and an everlasting kingdom. Yes, Israel was unfaithful, yet God is going to demonstrate His faithfulness and His mercy to undeserving Israel. The covenant that God was promising to give here in Jeremiah 31 was a covenant of grace. Something that was undeserving. And He was going to promise this covenant. And this new covenant, which have you observed in Jeremiah 31, in verse 31, Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah. God is promising that this is going to be a new covenant. It's not going to be like the old covenant, he says. It's going to be a new system, a new covenant. Which the Hebrew writer is trying to get us to see in Hebrews chapter 8 and in verse 7, that if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion sought for a second. There was the need for a second covenant. And so God was going to establish a new covenant. Because the first covenant was old and it was dead and there was fault found within it. Because the people had not kept it. And the new covenant is a better covenant. That word new can sometimes be a tricky word that the Hebrew writer uses. Because sometimes... In the Greek, it can just be saying something is new or younger than something that's old. <laughs> that it's just in relative to time, it's newer. Well, that would be true. But it can also be speaking about something new as in a better quality. It can be a qualitatively new product. And That it is a better product. And that's clearly the latter, what the Hebrew writer has in mind because he says in verse 6 of Hebrews chapter 8 that it is a better covenant. So this new covenant that God was promising, it was going to be a better covenant because of virtue of its sacrifice. We'll talk more about that at the end of our study tonight. But this new covenant was going to be filled with five promises. And this is so important for us to recognize from Jeremiah chapter 31. In Jeremiah chapter 31 and in verse 31, he begins by saying, Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, "when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah that this is going to be a covenant. It's going to be a new covenant, but it is still going to be a covenant. And so as we have seen throughout Many of these covenants that God has made, sometimes they, there is nothing required of the people. And yet then sometimes there are requirements of the people. In Exodus chapter 19, God said, If you obey my voice, you are going to be my covenant people. It was very much conditional. And very much so with the new covenant. It's going to be a conditional covenant. It is a a covenant in which God is agreeing to give us certain benefits that we'll talk about here in a few moments. But that there are going to be some requirements of us. There are going to be some conditions that we must meet. Also, in verse 33, we see this, but this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and on their heart. In a similar way as God had given Israel a law and gave them a law on tablets of stone, this new covenant is going to also contain a law. But it's not going to be on tablets of stone. It's going to be on the hearts of people. Notice again in verse 33, I will put my law within them and on their heart I will write it. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. That God is going to work on the hearts of people. He's going to write the law on their hearts of the new covenant people, of those who are willing to give their heart and their life to the Lord in obedience to the law of this covenant. There's going to be a relationship in this covenant. That the new covenant people will be in a relationship with God. He will be their God. He says, I will be their God and they shall be My people. God is using language to talk about possession. That this is going to be His special people. This new covenant people. Not Israel in their wickedness and their rebellion and their disobedience. It's going to be about the new covenant people. Those who will receive the law on their hearts and be obedient to it. And then he says in verse 34, They will not teach again each man his neighbor and each man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know Me from the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. God was promising in this new covenant that sin would be done away with forever, for good, permanently. That is an amazing promise that we will make some connections with in the book of Hebrews in a few moments. But that was the promise that God was making. That the people who are part of this new covenant, the blessing that they will receive is the forgiveness of their sins. There are some other things that God was making known in this promise. In verse 34, the first part of that verse, God says, They will not teach again each man his neighbor and each man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know Me, from the least of them to the greatest of them. It can be a challenging verse. What exactly does God mean here? What exactly is Jeremiah prophesying? And I think what he's trying to... Get across here is that people are not going to enter into this new covenant like they do the old covenant. In the old covenant, they are born into this old covenant status. That they were born into the covenant by virtue of being a part of the right family, that they were a descendant of Abraham. In Genesis chapter 17, in verses 9 and 10, when God was giving the sign of the covenant to Abraham that was circumcision. He says in verse 9, God said further to Abraham, Now as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you throughout their generations. So your descendants are going to be part of this covenant. He says in verse 10, This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. So they're born into a covenant relationship with God. You continue to jump ahead in the Old Testament to the book of Deuteronomy. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, as Moses is explaining and expounding on the law of Moses, as he's giving essentially a divine and inspired commentary on the law, he tells the children of Israel In Deuteronomy chapter 6 and in verse 5, that you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Remember, He's speaking to Israel, the covenant people, the descendants of Abraham. And He says in verse 7, you shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them. When you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down and when you rise up, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontals on your foreheads. The commandments were supposed to be taught to the children of Israel. And so what you see is that under the old covenant, this was the process. You were born physically by being part of the family of Abraham. That made you a part of the covenant. Then the Jews had to teach their children to know the Lord. And then based upon that instruction, they would then develop faith. And Jeremiah is saying in verse 34, they will not teach again each man his neighbor and each man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them. That Jeremiah 31-34 is reversing some of the processes of entering the covenant. That all people would be able to know the Lord. Not just Abraham's family. But also Gentiles would be able to come into the family. And instruction, that's still going to be necessary. He's not saying that we're throwing away instruction. But he's reversing the process here. That instruction is going to bring about faith. And if you're going to enter into this new covenant, you have to be instructed first. Not last. Remember in that Old Covenant was birth, and then instruction, and then faith. Well, in the New Covenant, what does Romans chapter 10, and verse 17 say? For faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. So there would be instruction, then there would be faith, and then people must be born again. Not through physical birth, Jesus makes that abundantly clear in the Gospel of John. In John chapter 3, whenever He is talking to Nicodemus, in verse 3, Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And then Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. It's not going to be about a physical birth, it's going to be about a spiritual new birth. Entering into the new covenant was going to be by a different way, a different path into this covenant. And so, being part of God's new covenant would be by faith in God and in His anointed one, the Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, who fulfilled the covenants that God had made with Abraham and David. If you notice in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 1, from the opening of the page of the new testament the record of the genealogy of Jesus the messiah the son of david the son of abraham that matthew is firmly placing jesus in the context of having fulfilled those covenants and so the old covenant has been done away there's need for a new covenant The New Covenant is not going to be like the Old Covenant. It is going to be different. Entering into it is going to be different. The benefits are going to be different. And so, there's the birth of a New Covenant. But what is interesting about this is that the New Covenant was inaugurated and born and brought into existence by a death. God is the master of irony, isn't he? That this new covenant was going to come into existence by the death of Jesus. in Luke chapter 22 Luke chapter 22 and in verse 20 when Jesus was observing the Passover with his disciples and he was instituting the Lord's Supper on the night that he was going to be betrayed and handed over to the Jews It says in verse 20, And in the same way He took the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant in My blood. When we observe the Lord's Supper, we are proclaiming the death of Christ. That He is the sacrifice that inaugurated the new covenant. Just as we read in the book of Exodus and Exodus chapter 24, when the people said, We will keep the covenant, we will obey it. And they had, Moses had taken the blood from the basin and he sprinkled it on the book of the covenant. Remember all of that? Jesus is saying that I, through my sacrifice and my death, Through my blood, I am what is giving life and power to this new covenant. That Jesus is what gives life and new birth. And what makes it possible in the Hebrew letter, in Hebrews chapter 9, in Hebrews chapter 9, and in verse 13... Notice what the Hebrew writer says. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling those who have been defiled, sanctified for the cleansing of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve a living God? that all of those Old Testament sacrifices, the sacrifices of animals, that with them there was a remembrance, a reminder of sin. But Jesus offered the best sacrifice that could cleanse the conscience. He goes on in verse 15, For this reason He is the mediator of a new covenant so that since a death has taken place for the redemption of the transgressions that were committed under the first covenant those who have been called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance for where a covenant is there must of necessity be the death of the one who made it for a covenant is valid only when men are dead for it is never enforced while the one who made it lives That this new covenant that God was establishing, it was going to require the death and a sacrifice. The death of the Lamb of God that was without blemish. The Son of God. What a beautiful picture. That... Jesus was able to accomplish that we benefit from in the new covenant. In Hebrews chapter 10, in Hebrews chapter 10 and in verse 3, he says, But in those sacrifices there is a reminder of sins year by year. The animal sacrifices, they were unable to to make perfect those who drew near. They could not cleanse the conscience of sin. There was a reminder of sin year by year. That with each day and with each year that would pass and all the sacrifices that had to be made is a remembrance of sin, the guilt of sin. But through Christ and through his death, through His sacrifice, there was a new covenant that was established. If we are going to receive God's new covenant promises, the forgiveness of sins, where God will be merciful to our iniquities and remember our sins no more, We have to give God our heart. We have to give Him our entire self. We have to receive His law. But not just receive it and hear it, we have to be willing to obey it. In John, the 14th chapter, in John. Chapter 14, when Jesus was speaking with his disciples, he said, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now, within this new framework of the new covenant, God combines law, love, and obedience. And we know the lesson from the Old Covenant. That there was fault with the people because they disobeyed it. They did not keep it. They were disobedient to it from the start. We need to avoid their example. We need to learn from their disobedience. And we need to... Give God our complete self. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, and all your strength. We need to give Him our heart, every fiber of our being. We need to give Him our obedience. That's what the new covenant demands. The new covenant promises... To give us forgiveness of our sins. Where God will wipe the slate clean. Where He will remember our sins no more. He will no longer hold our sins against us. To inaugurate that covenant. To give life and birth to that It required the death of His Son. And because of Jesus' sacrifice, we can have true, complete forgiveness where God acquits us and says, you're not guilty. You are forgiven. But we have to be ready to give God, our complete heart and our complete life. We need to be ready to follow the Lord in everything. In complete obedience and submission to Him. Are you ready to make that decision? Are you ready to come to the Lord today? If you've never put the name of Christ on in baptism, we're ready to help you do that. We're prepared to help you Make that decision to give your life to the Lord and follow Him. Maybe it is that you have made that decision to follow the Lord, but you have followed in the example and the footsteps of Israel of old. and You've been disobedient. You've not kept your commitment to Christ and to God. and need the forgiveness of God once again. We're here to pray with you and pray for you and help you in whatever way we possibly can. If you are subject to the Lord's invitation, would you come now as we stand and as we sing?